As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I look at Leicester and Leeds currently in the bottom three they're the clubs to have most recently sacked their managers you know a really late gamble on both of their behalves which at the moment is is not paying off they're going to go and thrash a Brighton side who've been so good recently away from home I don't see why they'd go into this city game thinking of it as anything but a free hit and this is another opportunity to spoil a party and to be the underdog and provide an upset definitely advantage Newcastle and Manchester United but Liverpool I'm not writing them off yet especially when the goalkeeper can score from set plays Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast I'm Dan Bardell and it's time for the weekend preview I'm joined by George Ellick Tim Spears and Bet365's very own Steve Freeth the heat is on at the bottom as Everton and Forest send a chill down Leeds and Leicester's neck. In the chase for Champions League football, Liverpool keep winning. Will either Newcastle or Manchester United buckle? And at the top, Arsenal refuse to go quietly as Manchester City's treble charge is put to the test. That's all to come here on the Weekend Preview. We're going to start this week with the relegation battle. Leeds are at home to Newcastle, Forest at Chelsea, Everton at home to Manchester City and then Leicester at home to Liverpool on the Monday night. George, Leeds actually did nearly take a point at the Etihad, but the story of last weekend has to be Everton and Forest's wins on a goal-packed Monday. Has that changed how you're viewing the relegation scrap? Well, yeah, I mean, I think you have to say that it was a weekend where... I think it all basically changed in terms of, of where we're sitting with the relegation picture. It was an incredibly damaging and bad weekend for Leicester, who went from being a side who, I'm sure as Steve will say, went from being you know likely, well, more likely than not to stay up to a team that are more likely than not going to get relegated. Um, for Everton, it wasn't just the result in terms of going to one of the best teams in, in the league in, in Brighton, but the manner of the performance as well, which has sent them not only out of the relegation picture, but also... Um, a team who've gone from being likely to get relegated to, to unlikely to get relegated. Uh, Forest with another really important result for them, which I think has kind of been glossed over a little bit because of the ridiculous fireworks that we saw on that day to rival, you know, that Boxing Day uh, card that we always see every every Christmas back in 1952. Yeah, I mean, that, we've got a new one now, the, the, here, the, the Coronation Monday. And, and it's, you know, for Leeds, the, the 2-1 defeat to City, albeit... You know, a ridiculous rear guard performance and one where, you know, Ilkay Gundogan and Manchester City's general complacency stopped the game from being 3 0 um, with that missed penalty. They'd have felt like a 2 1 defeat was almost a point given that they managed to avoid getting thrashed and therefore their goal difference taking a, a real plunge. Yet what happened over the next couple of days was obviously an unmitigated disaster in terms of their survival hopes. So Leeds and Leicester, the big losers, and, and Forrest and Everton clearly the winners. Yeah, let's go to our recency bias section then. And Steve, what's the market saying? Because it, it does change every game right now. It does. It's 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 saying stronger than ever, Dan, that Southampton are down at a, a one to 500. You know, you can score three at Forest. You can 
go one up at Newcastle and get chinned. You can go two and up and three one up against Arsenal and leave with a point. You know, they've also drawn against Spurs, United beating Chelsea. Yet they they want a five hundred to be to be relegated and staring the uh, the Championship in the face. As George has touched upon, it's yeah, it was a bit crazy down there. Uh, Leeds were eight to fifteen last week. They've they've shortened to two to five after that uh, performance uh, at the Etihad. Um, Leicester w- w- were big movers. They were they were seven to four before that damaging five three defeat um, against Fulham. That they are now four to nine, uh, third favourites and and big movers out the at the relegation betting and Nottingham Forest who have gone from five to six to eleven to eight. And then there's Everton, who I think a lot of us thought would uh, would eventually go down, and they've gone from four to six to nine to four. It's uh, it's looking very much like it's Southampton, Leeds, and and uh, Leicester City, the three to uh, to be relegated. But I'm sure that will change by this time next week, or, or yeah. it probably won't. They're 11, all three of those Dan are eleven to ten to be relegated. Yeah, this time next week when we're doing the podcast, we'll be saying a damaging weekend for Everton. They look <laughs> safe now. Now they don't after after losing to Manchester City. It does change every week, but there's no doubt that I think Monday was a was a pivotal day that will come. We'll look back at that at the end of the season and say that Monday was pivotal to to who ended up going down. Steve, you, I mean Southampton are as as good as gone now. They've got some decent young players in their squad, which will probably get get picked off. There'll be a few players that move on and stay in the Premier League. I guess the main interesting one there is James Ward-Prowse, and you guys have got a market for his next club. Yeah, it'd be interested to know where where you think he'll be plying his trade at the start of September once the transfer window closes. He's he's seven to two to still be a, a Southampton player, which feels on the short side to me. I could probably be a little bit bigger than that because it feels like he will be leaving. Um, his his club after a, after a long old stink down there at uh, at St Mary's and we currently have Newcastle the favourites uh, at three to one uh, and then we have West Ham at four to one I don't know what uh, Declan Rice looks to be leaving so West Ham at four Spurs at four to one we've also got Aston Villa Dan at, at, at six to one would you that feels a little bit on the short side to me again. A couple of years ago, I think Villa were in for James Ward-Prowse, but it sounds like Villa will be doing their shopping in La Liga in, in the summer. I, d- I don't see Villa going for Ward-Prowse now at, at this time, maybe a couple of years ago, but but not now. I think Villa have, have, have come on leaps and bounds. I've got Villa are well stocked in central midfield as well. Two very good central midfield players there already who I don't think he's better than, in all honesty. So it would shock me, Villa. I, I would say West Ham. The most likely on that list. For yeah, me. West Ham feel, feels a decent fit. Tim, any thoughts? Has he got a Portuguese passport? Um, if, <laughs> if, if if he has, then you know maybe. What maybe sixteen to one? Sixteen to one? Uh, sixteen to one? Your mob doesn't fail a very wolf signing to me. No, he doesn't. know. we could if Neves goes, we could do with a free kick taker. But that's about it, really. Brentford. Brentford's not uh, not in the betting, so maybe put them in. There you go. Feels like maybe, maybe a sixteen to one. Chance off, off the top of my head there for just a uh, um, a club who understands what the value of having a, an elite set piece taker would do. You know, he's a great player. He's an unbelievable Brilliant. player. He's probably not top six seven level now. I wouldn't say I don't envisage any of the top six seven. I guess it would depend who came in at Spurs. Possibly, I don't. Maybe Newcastle. Is that where you class Villa now, Dan? Is it top six seven? Oh, there's no actually. I've said <laughs> top six seven. There's no such thing as the big six seven anymore. I think I think there's Manchester City and then the rest. <laughs> at the moment in it's all also the, that's what I think it's a profile of player that Brentford have got kind of some previous with as well you know going and taking Ben Mee from Burnley when they were relegated last season age 32 like I don't think they're above getting a bit of value for a relegated player I'd take a bit of 16s mm. now from you Steve Talk it's after. a fair share George it's a fair share I might have to re- re-evaluate that and go uh, go three on let's have a look at Leeds then now two of their final three games are at home Newcastle this weekend and then Spurs on the final day they need six points from those games don't they Tim yes yeah I I would have thought so I mean okay they lost at Man City but it was it was a good defeat in in that you know that first half an hour City was just utterly relentless and toying with them and it could have it could have ended up being a proper thrashing. So I know City took their foot off the gas, but to hold it to two one eventually will will feel like they got a result. You know, it was noticeable the way Big Sam sort of took to the pitch at full time, got all the squad together, took them over to the away end. You know, because they need to foster that sense of unity. He's not got enough time to make them better players or do much with them tactically. So it's all about mindset really for Leeds. And 
yeah, having having two games at home will help. I mean, that Ellen Road crowd can be the proverbial sort of 12th man, can also be a hindrance, you know, you've got to say. They're my favourite type of crowds, the big, passionate, sort of maybe one-club city type crowds. You know, you get it in Newcastle. Um, I've seen it at Wolves for decades. You know, clubs like them, like Everton. I was at Millwall on Monday. It was the most incredible, one of the most unique atmospheres I've ever been in at Millwall for the for that crazy playoff game against Blackburn on Monday. <laughs> what a game the, that was. The noise in the first half was was astonishing. It was all, all three sides of the ground were just so, so passionate and so into it. But then when Blackburn pulled a goal back early in the second half, they all started getting edgy and it suddenly became a real like frantic energy from the stands. Like we have to, we're transmits onto the pitch, doesn't it? And like, yeah, it totally affected the players. And you know, that, that does definitely play a part of it in big games like this. And it'll be the same at Leeds against Newcastle. Yes, there can be a help, but yes, there can be a hindrance as well. I mean, I'd always prefer that type of crowd, you know, in football terms rather than a, 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 a passive, silent, sterile atmosphere like you get at so many Premier League grounds. Leeds' issue against Newcastle is that Newcastle aren't secure for top four. And in fact, if Newcastle lose this game, they could be fifth by the end of the weekend. You know, that's how tight it's got. And yes, Liverpool have played a game or two more, but there are certain clubs that have got good fixtures now because teams have got nothing to play for, but Leeds, certainly in terms of this one, are not one of them. It's it's bad timing to be playing Newcastle. But it'd be a great game. I've got a feeling for Leeds at the weekend against Newcastle. Sam Allardyce against one of his many old teams as well. I've just, just got a feeling that they might do something at home to Newcastle and, and, and pull off a shock. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. George, we've already touched on Everton a little, but where on earth did that performance come from? They'd only scored 27 goals in 34 prior to visiting Brighton. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, of course, is is leading the line again. He gave Lewis Dunk a torrid time. I think Lewis Dunk probably had his worst game of, of, of the season, actually. But it is now only one defeat in four since he's come in. He had a nice little turn in his locker that he did a couple of times as well in that game. But he's so, so important to them. He's a, on song, he's a great striker. Unbelievably important. You know, it wasn't long ago before his injury issues that he was clear as being the second striker for England behind Harry Kane. And I think everyone was pretty happy with that. He changes completely the way that they play in terms of his, every facet of his play is a target man is kind of ideal where he's not just that player. He's not a lump up top who can only hold it up and win his aerial battles. He does that, but he's also incredibly mobile. He runs the channels well, he presses well. Um, and when he's fit and firing, he makes, for defences, he's an absolute nightmare. I'm sure if you ask most centre-backs who played against a fit, Dominic Carver-Lewin, he'd rank up there with, with just total nuisances, who has the quality in the box to, to score as well. So, you know, his return is obviously massive. It's interesting when you look at Sean Dyche's time at Everton, this was their fourth win. All three previous wins had only been 1-0 victories, um, although two of them had been against decent, you know, sides at the top end of the table in, in Brentford, then of course Arsenal with that uh, that 1-0 win in his first game. But none of it had been anything like this, where I always think, especially when you've got a an outsider or, you know, the minnow away from home who score after 30 seconds or a minute, you know, I think the cliche they've scored too early is, is a bit of a fallacy, but you often see the, the game go exactly how you expect. And yes, Brighton had a lot of possession in the game, but Everton didn't just sit in an incredibly low block. They looked to, to kind of press when Brighton came onto them. They restricted Brighton to very few chances kind of within their area. It was a case of like, we'll, we'll let you have it kind of in the middle third and, and broaching into our final third, but we're not going to let you kind of dictate play in advanced areas. Um, and then on the counter-attack, they were devastating. Um, Alex Awobi put in a, a magnificent performance. I mean, so many of those players on the break just looked so so um, up for it and... 
you know, I think for Deutsch to instill in a mentality in a team that don't win many games and don't score many goals, that they were able to continue to kick, to pick Brighton off was impressive. I mean, I think looking at De Zerbi's time in in, um, in Italy, these high scoring defeats were more of a trait previously, and maybe it's something we'll see more going forward. But you know, all credit to Everton who were unbelievable on the day. Yeah, I think James Garner's made a difference for them in the midfield as well. I think when Dyche first came in, he was trying to get Anana and Decore and, and plan a break, get those two in, in the box. Obviously, Decore is still doing that and scored twice on, on Monday. But I think Garner's just settled them down in, in midfield. Someone who can progress the ball, he keeps things ticking over. I think he's made a difference in, in that midfield because I don't think they've really had a player like him all season. Tim, it is the small matter of Manchester City, though, this weekend for Everton, who will, of course, touch on when we discuss the title race. Is this a good time, if there ever is one, for Everton to play City, bearing in mind they've just had that tough Champions League game and they've got it again in midweek? Not good, but there are a few positives, I guess. I mean, obviously, coming off the back of not just the 5-1 at Brighton, but also the Leicester performance as well a week before, you know, where they played well. Could have scored a few goals up there. So that's two good performances in a row and a confidence boost. I guess you look at City almost almost stumbling against Leeds. I guess you look at City, like you say, in the middle of two Champions League semi-finals. I mean, a week ago, this was this was a complete mismatch, and it still is on paper. But at least the fans will be feeling more positive about it. You know, we talk about atmospheres, and Everton's fans played such a big part in their survival last season. You know, they really did the 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 way they whipped up Goodison Park with the the stuff pre-match and everything like that. So we know that they're capable of that. I guess also Everton sort of had a slight the blueprint for success from the Brighton game. They'll carry into this in the term in terms of. They only had 22% possession at Brighton and still scored five goals. So the plan's going to be the same, isn't it? It'll be to soak up pressure, sit so deep in their own box that they're at the bottom of the ocean and just completely restrict space and then try and hit them on the break with McNeil, with Calvert-Lewin, with Decore. Just try and break when they can. Um, And they were utterly clinical at Brighton. So if if they can just get one chance... Um, and somehow keep City out of the other end, then that's the blueprint, isn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm talking myself into this, which just sounds ludicrous, but I'd give them a small chance, Dan, which I wouldn't have a week ago. So that's um, better than nothing. Also, Arsenal were flying when they went to Goodison earlier yeah. on in the season in Sean Dyche's first game, and Everton won 1-0. You know, they're, they're, they're definitely, there's a, there's a chance. Oh, there's never a good time to play in Manchester City, but I think the, at this point, after the result and looking at Manchester City's fixtures, it's a more favourable time to play them than perhaps anyone else has had in recent weeks. George, let's look at Forest. We spoke last week about throwing away leads in matches. They did their best to try and do that again <laughs> against Southampton, in fairness. But in a one-year, they seem to have a striker who's going to come up with the goods for them. Quite quite often at this late stage of the season, a, a hero emerges. I think of Kevin Campbell all those years ago for, for, for Everton, keeping them up. A one-year looks like he might be that man for Forest. Yeah, I mean, he scored six goals this season. Two of them came in this game on Monday and... The one he'd scored previously to, the, to those two was against Southampton as well. So three of his six goals have come against the worst team in the division. So let's not get carried away uh, necessarily about his impact. I think there are other players that we can point out, and I think the main one we have to talk about is Morgan Gibbs White, who um, it's been like a it's been a steady boil um, over the course of the season, where you know he was bought by by Forest to much derision uh, around the price tag, and I think he's shown everybody very quickly that he is. Uh, an exceptionally talented footballer and um, you know it was amusing at the time that there were some people who were saying why have they gone and got Morgan Gibbs-White when they've just got Jesse Lingard in well I think in hindsight it's the the Lingard deal rather than the Gibbs-White deal that people should have been questioning because there are uh, just galaxies between the two players in terms of what they can offer in the Premier League at at this stage in their careers Um, the the touch for that assist was obviously sumptuous he gave a really good interview post-match as well on Sky Sports, which is worth watching, where he came across very well. There have been question marks around his attitude in the past. But it was kind of a little bit concerning to hear him say that they went into the game looking to kind of press Southampton high and basically realised within 10 minutes they weren't really able to do that. And therefore they, they sat off them. This has been an issue that Forrest have had all season where they, they just can't really get a foothold in games. And they allow the opposition to come onto them so often. And in my mind, I kind of hoped and thought it was Steve Cooper's tactic was just to try and use the pace of the likes of Brennan Johnson, use uh, Gibbs White's ability to, to split a defence deliberately. But it feels like maybe it's just a, a result of not being able to control games. I'm not entirely sure. Either way, you know, a massive win again they had to win you think in order to stay up and they've given themselves a, a decent chance of doing so and um, yeah and Johnson and Gibbs White they've certainly got two players that I, I hope are playing Premier League football next season for Forest again 
yeah, I mean, Brennan Johnson's scintillating on the break. And Gibbs Watt is, to be fair, on, on the break. There's probably not many players who are better than those two on the break. Mm. The, uh, Brennan Johnson's recorded the top speed in the league this season, hasn't he? He's absolutely lightning on the break and a really, really good player to watch. Let's talk about their East Midlands rivals then, Tim. Leicester City into the bottom three now. Conceded five at Fulham and that's now 20 games without a clean sheet for them. I mean, if you're scoring three goals at Fulham, you've got to be taking something from the game, especially at this point in the season. James Madison questioned the squad's hunger to defend after that defeat on Monday. Is there any fight left in them? I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't look like it. I, I was completely shocked at that performance. I got to say, mm-hmm. it, it, it was a relegation performance. A lot of a lot of problems at Leicester throughout the whole club. You know, really coming to the boil right now, and Liverpool at home. It's a yeah desperate situation. There's just no, there's, they just didn't show any pride, you know. And you think Fulham away on the run that Fulham have been on, an ideal opportunity really to at least pick up a point, which would have been a really important point. So to go and concede five, I mean, yeah. And, you know, you're seeing James Madison coming out and sort of, I guess, having a pop at social media and you can see that they're hurting. In fact, Jamie Vardy said it, it's more than hurt. You know, it goes beyond that for someone like him. But I guess there aren't enough players like him in that squad. And we have spoken before on this pod about, you know, the leaders and the players they've lost. Schmeichel being a, a really big one at the back. Johnny Evans being injured. And yeah, you just don't, you just, you don't see the fight. And I guess you look at a lot of players there who know that they'll be leaving Leicester regardless in the summer. Um, their careers aren't necessarily on the line and they're not putting the, themselves on the line for their club. I think it's five points from five since Dean Smith came in. No clean sheet for twenty games, which is astonishing. It's bad. Though. So, I don't know. I look at I look at Leicester and Leeds currently in the bottom three. They're the clubs to have most recently sacked their managers. You know, a really late gamble on both of their behalves, which at the moment is is not paying off. And I'm sure a lot of Leicester fans would disagree with this, but would I do question if they'd have been better off sticking with Brendan Rodgers? I know it's easy to say where they are right now, but you look at West Ham sticking with Moyes and that's and that looks like it's going to pay off for them. You look at Forrest somehow sticking with Steve Cooper, probably against all of their owner's natural urges to sack a manager like he loves to. And they're the ones at the moment that are, that are sort of looking up and looking to maybe get out of this, whereas Leicester under Dean Smith you know, have not improved defensively they've got worse so um it's hard to make a case for them staying up right now but then we said that about Everton last week so let's see what this weekend brings I think at the timing of the Rogers sacking as well when you've kind of stuck with him it was clear that marriage wasn't working and that something probably needed to happen but that neither party was gonna gonna walk away to do it when they did after going through the whole season surely it would have made if they were going to do it yeah. you know do it before the world cup like and, well, just, and it also doesn't make sense what they did to do it when they didn't have anyone in mind and they really didn't. Mm. And they had two they games a couple that of week. Games there, didn't they? They, had, they had Villa and they had Bournemouth at home and lost them both. And that's what's going to cost them right now because they had, they had no plan in place. They went for Jesse Marsh, which didn't, which didn't come off. They ended up with Dean Smith. So if you're going to make a huge call like that at that stage of the season, you, you better have a good idea for, what, for how you're going to stay up. And Leicester didn't have a plan. So I guess they're paying for that right now. Some, some bad decision making. Timing is everything in football. Steve, we've mentioned fixtures before. Leeds, Everton and Leicester, they'll all be at home on the final day with only Forrest away. Do you think that's got a significance in that scenario? We know Forrest really struggle on the road, actually, as well. Yeah. You know what, Dan? 33 points might be enough. and That might sound ridiculous, but I think that, I know their goal difference isn't the best, but uh, I know they've, they've gained their home form, which is which is key to them at the right time. They've, they've obviously done a lot better after, after dropping a, a couple of points, so that's good. Um, the the one game that they've got left at home is Arsenal, which is unfortunate for them. They're they're clearly still going to be challenging for the title. You would have thought um, they've got Chelsea this weekend. That I think they're are they are they back to their best after beating Bournemouth? It's hard to say. I probably wouldn't get too excited about that result. And the final game will be against Crystal Palace. So that feels like a game that they're more that they could easily win. They could probably go off favourites if Forest needed to win, regardless of their their away record. They'll, they'll go off favourites at Crystal Palace if, if if they need to win. I don't think they will, personally. I wouldn't surprise me for 33 points to be enough. Both Leicester and Leeds have still got Newcastle to face, haven't they? Who are, I know you've talked about Newcastle and we'll come on to them later, but I still think they're, they're nailed on to finish in the top four. They've both got West Ham to face, admittedly. So with the Europa Conference League as well, that could be a little bit off off point for West Ham. And um, I'm looking at Everton on, on 32 points, who... OK, they've got Manchester City, but they've got Wolves and Bournemouth already. It wouldn't surprise me, Dan, the final day if relegation is done. 
There you go. I've gone against the grain there. <laughs> Big shouts, Dave. Big shouts, Dave. We'll definitely come back to that in future weeks. Oh, yes. Time now to look at the title race with Manchester City at Everton on Sunday 2 o'clock and Arsenal playing Brighton at home Sunday 4.30. George, Man City came away from the Bernabeu on Tuesday night with a draw. How does that leave them poised in their charge for the treble? I think pretty well. I think going to the Bernabeu, especially when you're 1-0 down and coming away with a point, um, there'll be heavy, heavy odds on favourites for the return leg. Um, So in terms of their quest to win the Champions League, it's good. Quite surprising, although I guess with Pep it should be predictable that he didn't make a single substitution, despite um, the commentary team mentioning about 20 times how hot it was in the Bernabeu and the players basically looking like they were pretty knackered for the most part of the game. Ironically, I probably thought that was the best, that second half is probably the best half of football we've seen from Real Madrid um, in terms of just dominating the opposition and being the better team by miles. And ironically, it was the one half that they managed to lose um, with City obviously scoring that incredible goal through Kevin De Bruyne. What a hit that was, by the way. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a goal that has improved with every with every watch as much as that. Where live, you just think, he, you know, it's a, it's a good strike in the bottom corner. Every alternative angle makes it looking just... You don't really see that kind of strike. Hits it so hard, the ball's still rising, but it's only a foot off the ground when it hits the back of the net. That's basically how the only way you can beat Thibaut Courtois in the Champions League wearing a Real Madrid shirt. But it'll be interesting to see what they do in terms of their team selection here, given you would expect, anticipate that you know players like Rodri and De Bruyne, Grealish, uh, Gundogan might be fairly fatigued off the back of that game against uh, Madrid and that they've got the, the second leg to prepare for as well. Um, could be heavy rotation and that could play into Everton's hands. Steve, what are the odds saying with Manchester City's Champions League price and the treble market? Yeah, not a great deal has changed, Dan, after the after the first leg. Their Manchester City are strong favourites to get to the final at 2-7 to seven, with Real Madrid at 5-2. to two. And the outright for City and Real Madrid are pretty similar with, with Manchester City 4-6 to six favourites to lift their first Champions League trophy. Inter at 3 after that good victory, Real Madrid at 9-2 to two, and, uh, and AC Milan at 28-1. Uh, at and as regards to the treble, Dan, that's that's at six to five, so still fairly sure. And just a just a little touch for um, on the actual game itself, that first leg, both KDB and Vinicius Junior to score from outside the box were, was backed by a few people in midweek at four hundred and fifty to one in a, <laughs> in, in a few bet builders. So that was uh, listen, it was a decent result. Harlan didn't get involved. There weren't that many goals, so it was a decent result. But a few people landed a nice few bets at four hundred and fifty. Thought Dan looked like he had a nice haircut. Yeah, well, exactly. Another one tomorrow, George. Another one worse than worse than Maker Richards. <laughs> Tim George has already touched on it, but how telling was it that Pep didn't make a single substitution against Real Madrid in in midweek? Does it that indicate we could see some Pep roulette? I mean, I'm sure I'm sure we will. Uh, I've, I've read about this before with with Guardiola. Obviously, this isn't the first time he's done it, but it's just all about control, isn't it? I guess. And if you look at that bench, who would have? Uh, like George says, they were under the cost a little bit second half, but you know, your obvious subs to come on are sort of Foden, Mares, Alvarez. I know a lot of people calling for him to come on, but you know, are they gonna bring control in the centre midfield? Obviously not. Calvin Phillips, we've not seen him play much football recently. So I sort of get it really, you know, I guess he looks at it as in if there are problems, are the solutions on the bench? And he obviously did, didn't want to make a sub for the for the sake of it. He's rotated his squad, you know, pretty well recently, you know, uh, bringing in Mares for the cup semi to win that. Uh, he even rested Edison recently, which um, which sort of went under the radar, but he brought in Ortega for that West Ham win. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you would expect changes here. The big thing for City is that, yes, it's not an ideal time to go to a raucous Goodison Park when you've got Real Madrid at home a few days later. I think it's Sunday to, Sunday to Wednesday is the shift between games. But... They can afford to lose this game. They obviously won't want to, but um, they can afford to lose this game and still be top of the league by a point. So, yes, it won't be about massively prioritising one over the other, but of course there'll be some natural um, thinking in Guardiola's mind that the must, the must, must win game is coming up on Wednesday. Whereas if they get a point at Goodison, it's not exactly a disaster in the title race because they're still going to be top of the league. No, they can't really shuffle that defence too much either because every mm. centre-back needs to be on the pitch really most weeks except for Laporte nowadays. George, we were speaking before about Everton's point of view approaching this one and it being the best time to play City potentially. 
The alternative viewpoint to that is that in his managerial career, Pep has only faced Jose Mourinho, Jurgen Klopp and Mauricio Pochettino more often than Sean Dyche. And Pep sides have won 14 of those 15 games with only one draw. So really, actually, Pep couldn't have handpicked a better opponent. Uh, probably not, maybe. I don't know. Um, I think Southampton would be better, would be better at the moment. Um, True. Uh, it's kind of surprising that that is their record, given that, as we know, Dyche's Burnley, uh, as we saw again, a good Dyche team is a good attack, counter-attacking side. And obviously, City always play with a very high line. I think the key thing here is that this Everton team, in terms of the, the technical quality of their players, um, they have better players than, than that Burnley side had, despite... Burnley's finish, so maybe the seeding for for this Everton side, you know, if they put in a performance as they did against um, Brighton, um, could be more more awkward. Um, City normally, you'd say, given the players they played, they play a weakened team, but we know that City's strength and depth means they're just going to play a heavily rotated, fresh side, which is an ideal for for Everton. So it should be a good game. I mean, the good thing for Everton is they'll come into it with, with belief that they can beat anybody really because if they're going to go and thrash a, a Brighton side who've been so uh, good recently away from home I don't see why they'd go into this city game thinking of it as anything but a free hit and you know, this is an, another opportunity to, to spoil a party and to, to be the underdog and provide an upset. Steve on the title race do you believe that this is going to be the key weekend with Man City away at Everton and then Arsenal playing straight after them potentially with the incentive of going back to the top of the table? I think as bookmakers, Dan, we think it's done already. It's one to fourteen, Manchester City and Arsenal at eight to one for the title race, and we're we're odds on about Manchester City uh, winning the title by four to six points. So the ball is very much in in Manchester City's court. We've all touched upon how it, clearly it's going to be a difficult game for them at uh, Manchester City at, at Goodison. We've talked about obviously Calvert Lewin being back. I think Jerry, I think Mina being back in the side. Jerry Mina was a big help. Pickford's in in great form as well. And Manchester City away from home, if you want to try and get some positives from an Everton point of view, you could pick holes in, in their European form away from home, League Cup and, and, and Premier League as well, where they, where they drop points. Um, but I suppose if you're an Arsenal fan, you've, you've, you've had a couple of potential banana skins already that you've overcome in the form of Chelsea and Newcastle. And you quite fancy your chances of, uh, of beating Brighton as well. So for me, Dan, at 1 to 14, you know, that price says it all. I mean, maybe Sean Dyche will get on the blower to, to our old friend Nathan Jones, who obviously has beaten Pep <laughs> at home this season, one of the only guys that, that's known how to do it this season. Tim, we asked you last week about how big it would be for Arsenal to go to Newcastle and win. How impressive was that win at St James's Park? Yeah, probably the most impressive of the season, really. Not not necessarily in terms of the free-flowing attacking football that they showed, but just the, the commitment, I guess, because Newcastle threw everything at them. I mean, those opening 10 minutes were an absolute whirlwind in terms of the pace that Newcastle were playing at, their commitment, the noise of the fans, the incredible atmosphere. It was proper 100-mile-an-hour stuff. Arsenal got a bit lucky. I think Newcastle hit the post early on. And then there was that penalty decision, which felt like the pivotal moment of the game, really, because it didn't go Newcastle's way and they didn't react well to it. And Arsenal scored soon after. I thought they were great. I thought they out-Newcastle Newcastle in terms of time-wasting, which made for a really boring Second half in parts, to be honest. Um, I, got, I was just, you know, all the, all the spats and the constant stop and starting. It was dull, but that's exactly what Arsenal needed to do to see it through. And that's the, the hallmark of an experienced team with a game plan. So, yeah, I thought they were great. I thought Eddie Howe's comments after the game were absolutely hilarious about time wasting, saying how frustrating it was, um, that the ball wasn't in play very much. When you look at his team being the one with the lowest uh, percentage of the ball being in play this season and taking Look at Bournemouth, Tim. So, Look, his his Bournemouth side. I've been banging on about this for years. Were the best ever at time wasting, game management, whatever you want to call it. Little old Bournemouth. No one could see it. No <laughs> one could could see Eddie Howe what he was doing. Right, and of course he's uh, he's, he's he's trusty sidekick who's been getting a lot of social media attention over the last week or so. It is it. it, it mainstream media didn't see it with Bournemouth because it was always perceived. Oh, little old Bournemouth, aren't that? But. You know, listen, Newcastle, one to ten to finish in the top four. Who cares about it? But I, I, I found it. I did have a little, a little smile on my face, Tim, when I when, when I was listening to. Oh, it was uh, hilarious, and I, I remember them doing it at, at Bournemouth in the Championship. They absolutely did Wolves over twice in that promotion season, purely with those kind of tactics. And yeah, it, it works. It absolutely works. Fair play, I suppose. Although it's quite annoying, but yeah, um, Arsenal. I mean, they're on track for ninety points, you know. And I was having a look this week at how often. That would have won you the Premier League title in the Premier League era, and it's 20 times they would have won the league 
with 90 points. It shows you how, the Invincibles got 90 points. It shows you where Arsenal are at and how, and how well they've done this season, but it also shows you that they're up against a team that's sort of as close to perfection as it gets, really. So, um, I think from an Arsenal point of view, the worst thing they could do now is drop, drop any points themselves and for then Man City to go and drop points. That would be the worst thing from this point. So I think a lot of people expected them to do that in Newcastle and they didn't. So if they continue in that vein and end the season on 90 points, I think you've just got to say, you know, we're up against an, an almost invincible juggernaut here, but, um, but they've had a great season regardless. Yeah, the mainstream media didn't pick up on Eddie Howe's Bournemouth, but Steve Freight did. Steve Freight doesn't miss anything. They, George, it, it was brilliant. It was uh, up here at Stoke. They they absolutely rolled the fans. I was watching it, and I thought, well, you just got to doff your cap to him. A word for Jorginho, quickly, George. He's coming to the side in recent games in place of Thomas Partey, who was looking a little fatigued, in all honesty. And he's added a little bit of composure to this Arsenal side. And, you know, Trossard's coming at various points as well. They've got Kivio, who's, who's come back in and played his part since January as well. So just those subtle little changes, the tweaks to the team selection, that's probably helped them in recent weeks. Yeah, it has. I think some Arsenal fans maybe say they should have done it a bit sooner um, and maybe made those changes at the time where they were dropping the points that meant they squandered their lead at the top end of the Premier, of the Premier League. Um, Jorginho is a great player and um, you know I think if you're going to be a side who um, can have runners around him and dominate possession, he's always going to be a, a great presence to have in the middle of the park and, that, and that's been the case. Right, this is the moment that everyone's been waiting for. It's this week's trivia. And the question this week is, Abadoulay Decore's goal in the first minute of Brighton on Monday means 10 goals have been scored in the first minute of games this season, which is a new Premier League record for a season. But can you name the five players to have scored the quickest goals in Premier League history? One's Ledley oh, King, isn't it? Ledley King. Uh, that got much easier. Yeah, I was going to say. I'd struggle yeah. more with this season, I think, than I would do with, uh, with yeah. Ledley King's one, I think. An astonishing start! Shane Long? An astonishing start! Ooh. Two out of five early doors. Uh, this isn't my answer. I'm just conferring with my teammates. That billing goal was quick this season, wasn't it? Was that for uh, at Arsenal? Oh, yeah. Do you reckon that's in the top five of all time? Oh, I don't know. Because they've just said there's load, been loads of early goals this season, but that's just one that I, re- I remember. Probably wasn't in the it's, first it's, ten. It's got to be, isn't it, Billy? It probably wasn't in the first ten seconds, ten fifteen seconds. Mm. I mean, it, it was. It was kind of straight. It was the first uh, first phase of kickoff, wasn't it? We there was one that came up earlier this season. Was um, was Shearer? But I, I seem to think it wasn't logged in a couple of records. But he then said, "Yeah, he scored after like 15, 10 seconds or something." I'm sure Shearer's won. Yeah, I'm going to say that, Shearer. An astonishing start! He's also got a lot of goals, so it helps, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it also isn't an answer, but I remember Dwight York scoring a really early goal at Coventry. I'm sure it was in the first 15 seconds. Do it. I know, but I don't want to be the first one to get it, get one wrong, George. I can't. can't. You get I, one wrong I'm, first no, I'm, I don't know. I, I'm right. struggling. Okay, I'll, I'll get one wrong. Dwight York. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, Dan, that billing one was, 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 like, was from the kick-off. It, it, it yeah, must, yeah, must yeah. be up there. Go on then, we'll go yeah. Billing, team decision. An astonishing start! I chose the real one to mug you off with. That's, yeah, that's four. <laughs> oh, difficult, isn't it? I can't think of any of the early ones this season, other than the, the Billing one, the only one that stands out in my mind as, a, as an early goal. Yeah, might struggle. Yeah. Right, so we've had a clue just in from the producers, a, a current player who scored against the side that he's now playing for. That, I'm not sure that helps. I think that, anything that complicates things... A, a, a little bit that's a tough one mm, no idea no no I think we might have to pass producer I think we we've not got it have I been sent the answer I, ha- I have all right so the answers were then Shane Long Watford against Southampton April 2019 Philip Billing this season against Arsenal Ledley King Tottenham when they were at Bradford in December 2000 Alan Shearer, Newcastle v Manchester City, January 2003. And I've no memory of this goal whatsoever. Christian Eriksen, Tottenham v Manchester United, January 2018. Does anyone remember that? Because no, I don't. No. No, we'd have never got that, would we? No. We, we'd have never got that. Oh, but good, good trivia again. I think, I think we put up a good display. Four, I think that four was a hard, five is a good effort there. Yeah, that was, a hard, that was a hard one this week and we, we, we did well there. So I, I'll give us all the praise in the world. You're listening to the weekend preview from the Athletic Football Podcast. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. We're going to look now at the top four chase with Newcastle at Leeds, Manchester United against Wolves and Liverpool away at Leicester. Steve, Liverpool are now six wins in a row, although it's not been the most convincing run. How's that top four market looking now? I mean, they're getting the results, so you can't you can't have a go at them too much. No, six on the trot. I suppose it helps when you have a quality keeper in Allison, who's, who's, who's kept two clean sheets on the bank. So that's 100 now for for Liverpool, back-to-back against Fulham and Brentford. And their odds have shortened for the top four from 10s into 7-4. to four. And you look at their final three games, Dan, Leicester, Villa, Southampton, they'd only be 15-8 to eight to, to win all three of those. So it's just whether Manchester United and Newcastle can you know, drop more points. And, and Newcastle are 1-10 to 10 to finish in the top four. And Manchester United are 1-4. to four. And that, out of those two, they... They worry me quite a bit, uh, Manchester United. They were seven to one at the start of the season after their slow start. They've peaked at, at one to forty, <sighs> but they look absolutely knackered now. They're desperate for the finishing line. You look at the games though: Wolves, Bournemouth, and and Fulham. Yeah, it's definitely advantage Newcastle and Manchester United. But Liverpool, I'm not writing them off yet, especially when the goalkeeper can score from set plays. Exactly, George. If you had to pick one of the two to slip up, who would it be? I, I think probably just about Manchester United in terms of, of kind of recent performances and results. There's no denying that they've the performances aren't quite as good as they were um, a few months ago. And then that game against Brighton, conceding very late on, it just feels like things are maybe unraveling a little bit more there. Um, I think we can forgive Newcastle for um, for the defeat against Arsenal. I mean, I was really this is proper after timing stuff, which so I apologise, but I was, I was surprised to see that Newcastle were heavy favourites for that game. Arsenal were nearly two to one um, at Newcastle, which I guess shows how far they've come. But I do still think it will be Newcastle and and uh, United is making up the top four. But if one was to fall out, I think the odds have it right, and United are the more likely. Well, Newcastle will all but secure Champions League qualification with a win if Liverpool lose at Leicester. Tim. Is this the end of the big six if Newcastle get Champions League football? You know, you think Spurs, Chelsea have had massive struggles this season. Liverpool then wouldn't be in the top four as well. There's other teams creeping up as well with with top level managers who have who have had good seasons. Villa and Brighton, you think of? I think Wolves will be a good side next season under Lopetegui if he's backed adequately. And you know, suddenly this this big six thing, I think it's a thing of the past. Like I said earlier in the show, it's going to be. I think it's going to be Manchester City and then the rest. Yeah, Man City and the rest is is a good way of looking at it. I mean, the the Premier League's becoming a Super League of of its own now. Really, the amount of was it uh, someone senior at Milan? Forgive me. Uh, was interviewed by James Horncastle in the Athletic this week and basically said, you know, we, we're we can be outspent by Brentford and Leeds. You know, that's where that's how dominant the Premier League is now. That's how much money Premier League clubs get. And yeah, the longer that certain clubs go without Champions League football, you know, the weaker they become. If Chelsea go two or three seasons without it, Spurs look vulnerable. Like you say, maybe Liverpool. I mean, it's it's hard to call. Nobody would have predicted Chelsea's utterly disastrous, possibly worst ever Premier League season of any club, pound for pound, given the quality and the money they've spent. It's <laughs> it's astonishing how bad Chelsea have been this season. But yeah, um, Brighton, 
just keep going, whether they lose managers or players. Villa and Wolves, yeah, with really good managers and, and good spending power. So I'd like to think so because it, it becomes pretty boring when it's just the top six. But yeah, there's definitely potential. Like I said, it feels more like a, a super league of its own now rather than, rather than a big six and the rest for sure. And you say, you'd say Newcastle are almost guaranteed to, to disrupt that hegemony from, um, for the next few seasons at least. Yeah, with Newcastle looking to secure Champions League football, George, how big do you think that that will make this summer's window? They'll, they'll need to strengthen in a few areas if they've got Champions League football. But with Spurs needing to get it right as well and even Brighton looking to strengthen and, and not lose too many players, there's a lot going on. Yeah, there is. I mean, I do think that if Newcastle get Champions League football and Spurs don't, then um, the players they'll be able to attract will immediately kind of leapfrog them, uh, at least in the short term. I think, you know, it's obviously all these windows are massive and, and it's always competitive and there's always a lot of um, a lot of money um, spent. But Newcastle, if they do finish top four, I think that's going to change the whole landscape of, of European football, really. Um, there'll be a new superpower. There'll be a new team who can attract players of, of kind of any um, any standard of the top level, willing to pay the money needed to, to secure that. And that is going to have a ripple effect. And Steve, in terms of player-specific markets and having mentioned Harry Kane previously, what's the latest in the betting market for where he'll be playing his football next season? Yeah, he's done an interview over the last few days, hasn't he? So there's been a, quite a bit of interest in him actually to stay. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me that he, that he stays and then, and then, and then goes at, at the end of next season. So it's currently, he's, he's 8 to 13 now to be a Spurs player at the, at the beginning of September when the window closes. Manchester United are still quite short at, at 5 to 2 with Chelsea at 8. And then whether he wants to go abroad or not, Bayern Munich at 11, PSG at 14. Arsenal, 25 to 1? Surely not. I would say, purely on a next club perspective, I'm not saying the summer coming. I, I wouldn't rule out him being at Newcastle in the in the, in the next few years. I, I really think I've got a feeling Harry Kane might end up end up there. I think they'll give the players that they've got now, people like Callum Wilson, for example, they'll give them another season, the players that got them to the Champions League. But to sustain it and to become that massive club that they want to become winning, winning trophies, they're going to have to go for a different profile of player and a different level of player at some point. I just think in a year's time, we might be talking about Harry Kane going go to Newcastle. That, that's it's 25, 25 to 1, Dan, for that to happen this summer. I'm not saying he's, he's, he's as good as Kane, obviously, but I do think there's a chance that in five years' time, you know, Newcastle could be a an elite European club winning Champions Leagues and the rest of it, and Alexander Isak could still be playing up front for them. Yeah, of course. Um, he, he can also play left, can't he? I just think yeah, yeah, I've just got this feel of Harry Kane. If he break, imagine if he broke the record in a Newcastle shirt as well. It'd be like <laughs> visions of Alan Shearer again, yeah. wouldn't it? I've, I've just got this feeling, something in, inside of me that's telling me that Harry Kane will end up playing for Newcastle at some point. I've, I've been saying it for about the last six to 12 months. Now I've just got a strong feeling that it's going to happen. Just while we've talked a little bit about Spurs as well, Steve, what's the latest on the managerial market for them? Yeah, Nagelsmann is, is still quite a strong favourite down at, at two to one. He feels like the, the number one choice, but there's still a whole host of managers being backed. Alonso's third best at six to one. Slot's still hanging around at nine to one, the same price as Brendan Rodgers. Uh, Glasner, who's leaving Eintracht Frankfurt at the end of the season. Punters have been all over him this last week, probably putting two or two together to get five, 33 to one into, into 16s. What I did find interesting probably over the last five, five, uh, four to five days was the interest in Thomas Frank. He's four to one second favourite for me. Um, I'd, 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 I'd watch that one. Okay, interesting. Good manager, Thomas Frank, done unbelievable things at Brentford. Tim, finally then, how big is Manchester United's game with Wolves for their top four hopes? I mean, we've seen in recent weeks, tough tough team to play against Wolves. Anyone can lose to Wolves on their day. Manchester United probably need nine points to guarantee Champions League qualification, but they do have three home games remaining. Yeah, I think Brighton would disagree with your assessment there, um, having walloped. Not not my assessment, um, it's the producer's assessment. (laughs) Man United have... Four games against teams with nothing to play for other than pride or the opposition. So I think they'll be fine. Three of their last four games are at home, Man United. They've lost one home game all season. They've only conceded eight goals at home. That's staggering. In 16 home games. And they've got this fantastic run in. And I think, yes, they've had a wobble. Yes, they've had injuries, fatigue. They do look tired. It's been a long season. They're also still a work in progress. You know, we forget that because of the run that they had um, over the winter. And they've done all this, you know, despite Rashford being their only forward who scores really regularly. Fernandez is his second scorer. But other than that, no one's really contributed too regularly. So, you know, I've seen 
United came in for an awful lot of criticism in the last couple of weeks, some of which is, is unjustified and probably just aimed at them because they're Man United. But I think um, I think they will absolutely find, g- g- given the end of the season that they've got and, um, and given the fact that three of them are home, they'll. Um, I can't see Liverpool overtaking them. So those are our featured games to look out for this weekend, with this being how your weekend looks in full. It gets underway with Leeds against Newcastle at lunchtime on Saturday. We've then got the four 3pm kickoffs with Villa taking on Spurs, Chelsea versus Forest and Southampton could have their relegation confirmed at home to Fulham. Also Wolves take on Manchester United at Old Trafford. There's two two o'clock games on Sunday with Everton v Man City and West Ham travelling to Brentford following their Europa Conference League semi-final first leg on Thursday night. And then at 4.30, Arsenal take on Brighton with the Monday night football seeing Leicester welcome Liverpool to the King Power for the eight o'clock kickoff. Steve, as ever, it's over to you for the six scores challenge. Okay, Dan, here we go. Yes, you've guessed it. The million pound hasn't been won. We got zero again last week as well, I think. Yeah. yeah. I did. No, we didn't. Didn't we? Did we? we got one. I nearly got because I had two um, 0 City and it was that two one late on. That's, that, that's still me. zero. That's still zero. No, because I think I got the other one right, didn't I? What was the other game I did? It was a one all draw. Uh, I can't remember now. Oh, the Chelsea. Uh, no, Chelsea won, didn't they? Yeah, it was zero. Yeah, shame. It was still zero. I remember looking at it thinking, <laughs> "Yeah, we got zero again." <laughs> Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. I'd already written my text after an hour to say to you, "Hold on." I bet you had. I looked at it and thought, (laughs) "I laughed at George's predictions, and they're coming up." I know. I know. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's start then, Dan. I'm going to start with you this week, pal, because it's Aston Villa versus Tottenham. Mm, Two-one to Villa. Okay. And Chelsea versus Forest. Two-two. Okay. Uh, Timothy Manchester United versus the powerhouse that is Wolverhampton Wanderers. Oh, Steve. I just don't want to, I don't want to say it, but they've only conceded eight goals at home. They've conceded eight goals at home. It's, going to be, it's a friendly for Wolves, so so yeah, we'll we'll, we'll let Man United have it one nil. Yeah. Wolves' cup finals last week. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, they won it, didn't they? Uh, Brentford against West Ham. Um, one all. Okay, George Everton for, uh, versus Manchester City. Oh, nil two. And Arsenal versus Brighton. Two two. Come on, lads, we can do it. We can yep. do it. I've got a feeling. I look forward to discussing our nil pois next week. That's it from us here at the Weekend Preview. The Athletic Football Podcast will be back on Monday following all the weekend's action. But until then, enjoy all the football, enjoy your weekend, and thank you very much for listening. The Athletic. <laughs>